Today on Understanding Immigration, the presidential election. The immigration topic, interestingly, has not been a front and center topic so far in this election cycle. And I personally find that surprising considering how important and central it was to voters in 2016. Both moderators, Chris Wallace and Susan Page, failed to ask a single question revolving around immigration. And even the candidates, you know, Donald Trump and Mike Pence barely discussed, if at all, their immigration proposals, their accomplishments. And the same could be said about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. If Biden and the Democrats sweep the White House, the Senate and the House, which is a distinct possibility, given the polling that's out right now, there's really nothing that's going to stop them from adopting all of this. It just kind of depends on how many Senate seats they flip. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Spencer Rayleigh, FAIR's Director of Research, and I'm joined, as always, by Preston Hankins from our lobbying department and Matthew Tregesser from our media team. It's election season in America, and as an educational organization that focuses on immigration, we certainly want to spend some time talking about the immigration platforms put forth by both uh, 2020 presidential candidates. Now, of course, federal law prohibits 501c3 organizations like FAIR from endorsing candidates, so we're not going to do that. We want to stay away from that. Instead, we want to simply detail the immigration stances from both sides and their legislative histories and let you, the American voter, decide what you think. But before we get into all of that, let's dive into some of the immigration-related news this week. Now, we had talked a few weeks ago about the border wall and its, uh, you know, its place in the court system right now and that whole process. Well, we've got more news on that. Apparently, uh, an appeals court in the Ninth Circuit halted the border wall construction again. So, guys, uh, what are the facts of this case, and and, and you know what what do you think of it? Uh, where is this eventually going, and is it going to finally be approved? Is it going to get struck down? What, what what's going to happen with this? Right. So the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals stymied another Trump administration immigration initiative. It seems like. Throughout his entire presidency, they've tried to stop anything that involved uh, or that involves border security or anything really with the name Trump attached. And so this was not an unsurprising decision, but it really jeopardizes our southern border security. You know, this is preventing millions of dollars of federal funding from going to the uh, U.S. southern border wall. And Again, you know, this was a major campaign promise for President Trump to build that wall. And they're trying to build 450 miles by the end of the year. But, you know, it's certainly not going to be easy with uh, this court decision. Yeah. And the, the real central issue with this case specifically uh, is that the Sierra Club uh, and others who are wrapped up in this case were arguing that it was illegal for the president to use money appropriated to the Defense Department in order to build the border wall. And so this, I think, whether the court decided correctly or incorrectly, this could go to the Supreme Court. But the central issue here is, again, that um, President Trump has been unable to pass legislation through Congress that can make it to his desk appropriating money for the wall. Um, and until that happens, this is just going to be a regular uh, fact with the border wall. You, you know, it's always going to be legally kind of ambiguous, whether you know, whenever he uses emergency declarations to to move money from other appropriated areas. So 
again, this just shows how the dysfunction in Congress um, is leading to to these kinds of court decisions that are losses for the president. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd also like to add that the Sierra Club, you know, obviously applauded this decision and they called it, quote, monumental for border communities, wildlife and lands, end quote. But what they don't realize is that, and we talked about this in a previous podca- podcast episode, it was episode eight on the environment and immigration, but uncontrolled mass migration can bring devastating environmental effects. We talked about, at least in the podcast episode, how urban sprawl results from overpopulation, destroying you know, natural lands, you have increased CO2 emissions, which obviously affects our atmosphere, um, you know, just increase, you know, consumption of goods, which obviously leads to more waste. So, you know, it, it really, the club did not take this into account. And obviously the, you know, southern border, while the construction of it is not going to end all illegal immigration, but it certainly helps. But, you know, they didn't really look at the the long-term effects of what uncontrolled mass migration can do. And, it's just very interesting that they just focused on the sole structure of the wall down there. Absolutely. Both both of those really good points. And, and then honestly, just going back to the plaintiffs on this case, trying to make it at this point an environmental argument to block the border wall. But I think everybody knows it, it goes it goes beyond this. It's all about dismantling the uh, you know immigration enforcement mechanisms in the United States as they are. In fact, at a lower court, the last time that the plaintiffs lost, you know, at, at that level, they said, oh, we'll find a way to end the xenophobic, xenophobic Trump border wall. You know, they didn't care about the facts of the case as they were ongoing. They just wanted to find some way to slow down the progress on this issue. And we're seeing this in essentially any measure undertaken to enforce immigration law. You see some sort of case brought up to try to delay or to stop it using the courts because they know they can't get it done in Congress right now. They know the the president would veto anything that happened to make it through Congress, you know, on on these measures. And so instead of trying to come up with a compromise or trying to make changes where they can make the changes, they're trying to utilize the courts and politicize them to, uh, you know, do their bidding and to implement an open borders agenda. So, it's not a big surprise that the Ninth Circuit blocked <laughs> the building of the wall right now. And like uh, like was mentioned, there's a good chance this does end up before the uh, Supreme Court. And it might take that to once and for all actually put this issue to rest. All right, good stuff. Let's uh, go ahead and dive into our topic on the day. The immigration topic, interestingly, has not been a front and center topic so far in this election cycle. And I personally find that surprising considering how important and central it was to voters in 2016 and how relevant it is to the health of our economy today during the ongoing recovery from the 20 uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, in some ways you could say that because of this, it's even more relevant now than it was four years ago when President Trump essentially rode the immigration issue into the White House. So, Preston, I want to start with you. Give us a just like a 30,000 foot view of both Biden and Trump's immigration platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So I will start with Trump's because uh, in some ways um, it's the easiest to begin with. Um, that's largely because it's taken verbatim from his 2016 platform. In fact, the GOP did not adopt a new platform at their 2020 convention and instead have just reissued the 2016 
platform, which includes his original language uh, about immigration. And, you know, President Trump isn't selling anything new to the American voters on this issue. On immigration, he's repeating his same promises from 2016, which mainly for him has focused on stopping illegal immigration, which, you know, building the wall and, you know, empowering ICE to remove unlawfully present aliens in the country. On his website, really the only kind of new things that he's added is that he has a, a promises kept section, which only highlights first is protecting the American people and our homeland and enforcing U.S. border security. So again, you know, these are not, this is not surprising to anyone that has followed Trump since he first announced he was running for president in 2015. He has always focused on illegal immigration and to an extent, you know, lowering legal immigration, changing some of these more in the weeds programs. But, you know, his, his instincts have always been to go to the border, to focus on the border wall, to, to pe- put people's focus on the dangers and the consequences of mass illegal immigration. And so in that regard, Trump really hasn't proposed anything new for the next four years uh, than what we've seen in his 2016 platform and what we've seen over the past four years as he's been in office as president. So now moving on to Joe Biden's platform, unlike Trump, Joe Biden's website has an entire, uh, you know, giant section dedicated to immigration. And he has like this entire plan that people can download and quote from. Um, Some people probably remember that he also released a unity plan, uh, which is separate than his actual platform. Um, and the unity plan was struck with members of the far left wing of the Democratic Party, uh, including mainly supporters of Bernie Sanders. So from this, he has two plans to take policy direction from. And they really are you know, kind of saying the same thing. So first and foremost is that Joe Biden prim- is promising to reverse all of President Trump's immigration executive orders within the first 100 days of his presidency if he's elected. And for Joe Biden, this would be an enormous win for him because unfortunately, most of what President Trump has been able to do has been through executive action. Um, there's been nothing passed through Congress that the, that the president is able to you know, look back on and pat himself on the back for. So for Joe, Joe Biden unraveling Donald Trump's immigration priorities is going to be relatively simple. Um, he's going to he's promised that he's going to end all of the changes to the asylum policy that stopped the border crisis uh, in the summer of 2019. He's promised that he's going to end all the agreements that we made with Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala and El Salvador. He promised that he's going to reverse the public charge rule. He promised that he's going to end travel restrictions that were placed on state sponsors of terrorism. He promised that he's going to expand temporary protected status and that he's going to reinstate DACA. And those are just the things that he's reacting to President Trump with. He's also proposed, uh, you know, a bunch of new proposals that go far beyond just overturning Trump's four years in office. And those include a pathway to citizenship for every illegal alien in the United States, 
He's promising to expand the number of H-1B visas and other temporary guest worker program visas. Um, he's supporting a farm worker amnesty for people that have been in the country for only a handful of years. If they've worked on farms, they'll get a pathway to citizenship. He wants to allow cities and states to petition for their own visas. And he also promises to um, highlight and in some ways target individual states that have passed laws making it harder for illegal aliens to live there. So these would be laws such as statewide E-Verify mandates or states that have widespread um, 287G cooperation agreements at the local level. So, you know, my kind of concluding thought on this between, you know, their two platforms, they're obviously very different. They are selling two very different visions of immigration reforms to the American people. And if if Biden and the Democrats sweep the White House, the Senate and the House, which is a distinct possibility, given the polling that's out right now, um, there's really nothing that's going to stop them from adopting all of this. It just kind of depends on how many how many Senate seats they flip. It just depends on whether or not immigration becomes a priority for them. You know, there's only so much that you can move through both houses in the first hundred days when you have po- political momentum, you know, behind you, uh, you know, that's kind of the grace period, right? And so the GOP had complete control of the government after the 2016 mm-hmm. election, where they could have passed some of President Trump's uh, immigration proposals. And instead, they didn't do that. They chose to pass a tax cut, and they attempted to end the Affordable Care Act. So, and this is just highlighting that Biden is is and the Democrats are juggling a lot of different issues. You know, they've talked about health care, they've talked about climate change, making changes to policing, the economy, um, and nothing, you know, obviously the you know elephant in the room here is you know the coronavirus response. So, you know, if if they do win all of these seats and they and they flip complete control of the government, they certainly would have the ability to do this, but whether or not they'd have the political will to unite the caucus on these things is a different story. Um, and so will immigration be one of those things they focus on? Uh, I don't really know. Yeah, those are those are really good points. And, you know, just kind of going into a little bit on these platforms, you know, it's, it's really easy, well, you know, re- relatively easy to judge what Trump has done on this issue and what he will continue to do on the immigration issue, largely because he put forth his immigration platform in 2016, we can analyze what he's done over the last four years, and they haven't really changed much for, you know, the the coming term if he's reelected. For example, you know, he has taught he talked a whole lot in the campaign about increasing vetting for people coming from countries that are terror prone, you know, terrorist hotbeds, whatever you may call it, and we can compare that to some of what he's done. We saw the travel moratorium put on countries that, that, you know, have an issue with terrorism where we can't easily vet uh, new migrants. We also saw, you know, the refugee cap cut substantially because, again, there are significant issues, especially with refugees coming from places like Syria or Somalia or other areas in the Middle East where we don't know who's coming. Those governments have collapsed. We can't collaborate with them to find out backgrounds on people. We literally just have to rely essentially on their word of mouth and any kind of intel we can collect. And we've seen because of that, for example, the refugee cap has gone from well over 100,000 under Obama to less than 50,000 under Trump. So those are things that we can look at. You know, we have that benefit of being able to say, what did Trump say during his last 
campaign? And did he keep those promises? Of course, it's a little bit more difficult to do with Biden simply because he's not president. He has been president the last four years. Of course, he was vice president under Obama for eight years. So we can look a little bit uh, at what they did in that administration and kind of assume that there's some, you know, that in some way represented what his administration would be. But, you know, when it comes to actually what immigration policy would look like under Biden, you know, the best thing we can do is in some way just take him at his word. And Fair actually put out a study recently called By the Numbers that looked at all of the Biden campaign's promises on immigration and what that would result in. And Preston, you've already touched on this pretty substantially. You know, we're talking amnesty for, in their words, 11 million illegal aliens. We know that number is probably closer to 14.3 or even more, which would lead to the number of, uh, of chain migrants, family members applying to, you know, for uh, green cards increasing dramatically and more than 2 million new legal immigrants through various means, such as city requested immigration visas, tens of thousands of new employment-based visas per year, tens of thousands of new visas and green cards offered to graduates and PhD students per year, and just a whole host of other avenues for new migrants in the United States. In fact, our, our estimate is that over an undeterminate period of time, you could see more than 50 million new immigrants added to the United States population due to these policies. Of course, that wouldn't all happen in four years, most likely, just because the sheer volume that the admit, uh, that the potential Biden administration wants to admit in the United States just couldn't happen in that short period of time. So a future president could roll these things back if they felt like it was uh, detrimental or if Biden were reelected after four years, you could see those policies expanded. So again, it's just it's easier to judge, you know, what the Trump administration has done, but that doesn't, you know, stop us from taking a look at what Biden is promising to do, uh, what they've promised to do, and you know, in some ways, examining uh, his record when President Obama was uh, in office. I'd also like to add too. It, it's so interesting to see the shift in Biden's immigration views just in a few years. I mean, he was someone who voted for the 2006 Secure Fence Act, which helped construct hundreds of miles of southern border wall. Even when he was vice president under Obama, I mean, that administration, arguably, I, I know there's kind of, I guess, some dispute of how they calculated how many deportations they did in their eight years. But whether or not he was the leading or second leading administration, they deported hundreds of thousands of people. And so, you know, it's just very interesting to see in just a little over a decade how far left and open borders his views have become yeah and i mean a lot of that a lot of that comes from the the party that he is the candidate for right now mm -hmm. um joe biden's party has shifted to a completely different direction than it started out in when he first joined as a, as a first-term senator and while some of that has to do with you know what happened under the obama administration but a lot of it has to do um as just a reaction to President Trump, but you look at the people that are making up the base of of the Democratic Party and you see the new, you know, the freshman members of Congress that have come in um, that have really lit a fire in that party and have have really made it their own. And I think that has really pushed Joe Biden and, you know, some of those more establishment Democratic members 
to really a fringe area of this issue that, like you kind of said, Matthew, you know, 10, 15 years ago, no one would have supported on, on either in either party. And now um, this is in his platform. Yeah, and I really think what you're what what you see a lot on issues like this, especially in the 2020 political climate, is you know, going back to 2016. You saw President Trump take the immigration issue, and depending on how you look at it, he made a push, made an effort, identified with the conservative base, and restored some of the emphasis that conservatives used to have on securing our borders. And trying to have a, an immigration plan that, in his words, places American values first. And at least initially, the Democratic Party seemed to stick with perhaps their more moderate, moderate left stance on immigration. But then as, you know, as a reaction to a Trump pre- presidency, you saw that you're seeing that shift further to the left and the intens- intensification of their values on immigration take place before our eyes. So right now, what what you're getting with the Biden campaign is you could see him push against that, you know, like some candidates do and say, hey, we need to get back to what we used to Mm -hmm. believe on this issue. But instead, it seems like the Republican Party did once Trump became the nominee, he is actually embracing this this leftward movement on immigration. And what you're being left with is really kind of a polarization on the topic. You have one party that, you know, is very, very strong in the kind of law and current law and order agenda that you see coming from the Trump administration, combating illegal illegal immigration, ensuring that those that are coming to the United States are doing so in a legal manner versus the Democratic Party, who more and more now wants to create pathways to citizenship for those that are in the United States allowing people to come to the United States illegally, illegally, then exploring their legal options and just avenues like that. So it is really interesting that uh, there's not a lot of gray area on these issues anymore. It seems like you've got not just battle line drawn, you have two battle lines drawn miles apart from each other. And one party is on one side of that and the other party is far on the other side. So I want to, I want to get back into a little bit this... Uh, you know, this, this, what I find fascinating, uh, the fact that immigration hasn't seemed to be front and center. You know, there's, there's a lot of potential reasons for that, but Matthew, I wanted, uh, I wanted to have you just explain to us a little bit why you're not seeing just constant focus on the immigration issue. And is that a, you know, is that something made by the media? Is that something put together just because of the other issues such as COVID and, you know, Supreme Court are taking precedence? Why isn't this being discussed? And what do we need to do to bring this issue back front and center? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you're exactly spot on, Spencer. I mean, despite immigration serving as a defining political issue in 2016, as we discussed, it has really taken a back seat in 2020. And if you guys recall, in the first two nationally televised presidential and vice presidential debates, both moderators, Chris Wallace and Susan Page, failed to ask a single question revolving around immigration. And even the candidates, you know, Donald Trump and Mike Pence barely discussed, if at all, their immigration proposals, their accomplishments. Um, and the same could be said about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And so in my mind, I think to a lot of voters, immigration really propelled 
Trump to win the 2016 election. You know, he talked about the travel bans, the cost of illegal immigration, the, the construction of a southern border wall, and it really motivated voters to go vote. And now, strangely, it's missing. So I kind of want to throw out some theories as to why this is happening. Obviously, as you mentioned, you know, the COVID te- the COVID-19 pandemic has really taken a toll on the country and most countries around the world. The economy has been really suffering uh, and we're seeing numbers that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. And, you know, I think the White House and Congress and the media, they're all really fixated on this, you know, as they should be. And they're kind of looking at, you know, how can we develop public policies and bills and legislation that addresses the economic turmoil and actually the the lives of Americans. So, you know, that's not really anyone's fault. It's just, you know, kind of a crisis situation that occurred. But the second theory I have in mind is, you know, a lot of Americans, a lot of voters who are concerned about the nation's immigration policies or problems, they feel that the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of permanently solved them. So what I mean by this is, you know, now we're seeing a lot of border restrictions, travel restrictions uh, to the to the U.S. And these include Title 42, which is a border policy that allows for the immediate removal of illegal entrants. The administration barred non-essential travel from Canada and Mexico. They temporarily suspended foreign guest worker programs to protect American wages and jobs. Um, and they also suspended the entry of foreign nationals from China, Iran, and, you know, a lot of countries in Europe for an extended period of time. So, you know, I think a lot of voters who don't really follow the issue closely or may that or may just, you know, follow the news lightly, they'll say, oh, well, it looks like our immigration situation is controlled. There's not much going on. Border apprehensions are down. But a lot of this is coming from short term policies that are in response to uh, the COVID-19 crisis. And these aren't long term solutions. So that's a major problem is I think a lot of voters are convinced that immigration is you know, not really a, a concern to them anymore. It's not as pressing and it's solved. But a lot of that is related to COVID-19 and the restrictions related to that. Now, the third theory, and you kind of mentioned or spoke about this, Spencer, is both campaigns and the media understand how polarizing immigration is. And, you know, with gridlock in Washington and hyperpartisanship, there's really a, a small group of voters, a few group of voters who th- they'll be able to sway to one side or another. So, you know, in, in fact, there was a Washington Post study that recently revealed that voters are most likely to favor immigration policies based on which party offers a policy, not necessarily the effectiveness or practicality of them. So in, in my mind, you know, maybe both campaigns are realizing, you know, no matter what we introduce, voters are already determined on this issue. Let's focus on other issues that are more malleable or, you know, we can convince people to come to our side otherwise. And so, but I, I will say it is a very strange phenomenon. You know, it's, we haven't seen a single question asked in both debates and both campaigns also aren't, you know, kind of taking these questions that, that they're being asked and kind of transitioning to immigration policy. So it's very, very interesting. I don't think it's the most effective option. Uh, we talked about it, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the lives of millions of Americans. And many Americans are concerned about, you know, finding limited job opportunities or taking these limited job opportunities. Uh, and they don't want, you know, foreign guest workers taking these jobs and they don't want them depressing wages. So, you know, they, they want to ensure that these jobs are going to them first. They want to ensure that the nation's limited funding and, you know, the stimulus packages are going to American citizens, not illegal immigrants. Um, and they also want to ensure that immigrants are coming into this country who are properly health screened and not coming from, you know, countries that have uh, high surges of coronavirus. So 
and not just in the short term. I mean, think about even the long term, too, with immigration. A lot of voters are still concerned about the decision on DACA, uh, foreign guest worker programs, the construction of the southern border wall, sanctuary cities. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And all these items can affect public safety, economic conditions, and the overall lives of Americans. So it really doesn't make much sense why they're left out by both campaigns right now, by debate moder uh, moderators. And, you know, it's hopefully we'll see shortly that it, they can start talking about it. But I guess, you know, now there's not really a debate structure anymore. It's I, I saw today that it's uh, now going to be two town halls. So I don't know how that's going to work out. But, you know, if I were the campaigns, if I were the media, I would definitely uh, press you know, or, or answer these questions about their immigration policies, their achievements, and what they plan to introduce in the presidency. Yeah, I certainly agree with you. And I mean, part of it is just because, you know, like we had mentioned, President Trump intends to continue making this a front and center issue. And the Biden campaign has a, a, a massive immigration platform. And, you know, voters deserve to hear questions about these brought up, you know, how, how would it impact them over the course of four years or more? You know, what are some of the holes that might be in it? You know, what are some of the more dramatic changes that these candidates want to make? You know, they deserve to hear that. So it'd certainly serve everyone well to have this become a more prominent subject in the media and especially in the debates that way, since, since they are so polar opposite on these issues, it would be great to hear them detail that more and ask each other questions on it. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about these candidates and where they stand on immigration. Remember that all of our episodes are available on most media platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, www.fairus.org, and our Twitter handle, at Fair Immigration, to access episodes as well. As a personal favor to the three of us, we would certainly ask that you share this podcast with your friends and family. We hope each and every one of you are continuing to stay safe and sound in these trying times. And no matter who you end up casting a ballot for, we encourage you to get out and vote. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.